0: Alright, tonight would officially begin the last week for our study on discernment for the Bible study exercise. Uh, We did a little work on it again this morning, Uh, so this will be like week seven, kind of the the final week of it uh, for those online doing the uh, word study method. This would be the week to finish that for um, everyone else who's not doing the word study method you've been following along with the curriculum, then this would be the last week uh, to look at the the last entry on the curriculum, session six. Um, Well, actually, there may be one more week, actually. I don't know. We'll see what we do with the last week. So either way, or I think maybe we're actually on session seven, but we're a week behind in how we've been looking at things. But either way, we're getting close to basically the last week. So we're going to kind of look at this as moving into the last week for this study. I'll kind of re kind of look at it and try to make a determination this week how we're going to proceed with next week but we've 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 made well I guess what we've discovered is trying to look at the the subject of discernment not only has the study been somewhat frustrating but the subject is somewhat frustrating because as as everyone says discernment is important everyone says we have to have this discernment we have to be able to discern to discern discern what is right and what is wrong, be able to have this ability to do so. Some people believe it's some supernatural ability that just Christians have the ability to discern and non-Christians don't. But we know that that's not true because we've seen Christians fall for every kind of hoax, lie, conspiracy theory, messed up concept on the face of the planet. So Christians have no corner market on the ability to be more discerning than anybody else because it's just, I mean, there's just tangible... It's one of those, again, things that it's just a, you can see it. It's a tangible, reality. It's an objective reality that we don't. Just like when Christians claim to have a power that we clearly don't have and when we claim this ability. Just like when Christians claim that now that I'm a Christian, I can understand the Bible and they can't. And then, well, if we can understand the Bible, why does no one agree in 2,000 years? So clearly a lot of those things that we claim for ourselves doesn't necessarily pan out the way we we say. So when it comes to discernment, it's the same thing. I wish it was some easy thing, but the only thing we can do is go back to what the best that we can try to understand. And so what we have tried to say, or at least I've tried to say throughout the study, is that discernment is basically our what we it's our attempt to understand what God's word says and then based off what it says, we discern right and wrong and judgment based off what it says. Now the problem is it's based off what it says. <laughs> and what it says is based on our Interpretation, so therefore, so the quality of one 's discernment is based off what the quality of one 's interpretation, bad interpretation means bad discernment, right i mean that 's just the way I mean there's no way to get around that because you, because you can get ten people to read the scripture, all trying to discern well, this is what we should do, this is what we should do, this is what we should do, and they could all be people who say it's scripture. Alone and still not what? Agree. So right there just makes discernment almost like an impossible, uh, because everyone talks about, oh, discernment, 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 discernment. There's an entire world of discernment ministries, right? And what do discernment ministries do? Tell you how all the other ministries are? Wrong, okay? But the, the, the discernment ministries are telling the other ministries they're wrong and the other ministries who are telling the discernment ministry that they're wrong and then they all agree, think that they're using the scriptures and so it's just like, well, then who's got discernment? But all I can say is discernment has to come from the word of God and it's our job to try to figure out what it says and then apply that to everyday situations to the best of our ability. Now, so, if you remember, we've gone through a number of lessons here using the curriculum. And we, first of all, we agree at the beginning that discernment should be based on God's word. And we started in Genesis 3, right? God spoke to Eve. Seems very clear, but <laughs> she went against it. Yes? Now, we talked about all the, dis- all the issues there. Then, remember the curriculum took this weird detour, Right? And they took a detour that's very common in the evangelical world. They're like, yes, you've got God's word. You've got the Bible. But sometimes trying to figure out what God has to say, in a sense, requires a little bit more than the Bible. So they gave us these other, I don't know, guidelines, I guess we would say, and how to figure out right and wrong. And what were they? Well, first, obviously, we had discernment. And then the next was conviction. And how did they explain conviction? Or how, how did we interpret the way they explained it? You decide what's right and wrong based on whether you feel convicted by it or not. And, we, and what's the flaw in that thinking? What's the flaw in that thinking? Well, because we may be convicted when we shouldn't be. Right? And we, we shouldn't be convicted because there's nothing wrong with it. And so, Or we may not be convicted when we should be. Conviction is a... Feeling, it's an emotion. And what can you not discern things based off of? A feeling or emotion. Why can you not discern things based off of feeling or emotion? They come first, they come from within us, means they're going to be tainted by our sinful nature. And secondly, feelings are fleeting. They're changing constantly. And third, they have a very high rate of deceiving you right leading you in the wrong direction so we can't do that so that and that was based off acts 2 then the next one was faith hebrews 11 right and and I and I won't work back through all of the ways I try to show how these are connected but the the way the curriculum would argue is how how do you decide what's right and wrong what requires more faith. So you make the decision that seems to require more faith, and supposedly then that's the right decision. And what's wrong with that? Well, that just makes absolutely no sense, because you'll see people make horrible decisions, thinking that it's the right thing to do, because it required more faith, and it turns out to be very much the wrong thing to do. It sounds ultra-spiritual. Sounds ultra-spiritual, but it's just, like I said, I, I, I gave the example of the people in my first Bible Institute. They all got out of the military because that required more faith. They trusted God. And I was taking the safe, secure way. Well, it didn't work out so much for them. Working two, three jobs when they had a job. <laughs> they had a job. But they got rid of a job because it required more faith. And it's just like, that, there's no biblical mandate that that's the way it, it should work, right? No. We, 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 you make this decision on, first, does God's word have anything specific to say about it? And then you make one that makes the most sense using the best reason that you can. It's just, we like to mystify and spiritualize things to a point where we end up looking really foolish. And then the next one was God's character, meaning that I make my decision based on what's consistent with God's character. Here's God's character, so what should I do? What's consistent with it? It sounds good. Again, it sounds good. But the problem is, how does that... How does it really work if you take it to its logical conclusion? Well, I'm going to do this today. Well, is that consistent with God's character? Well, God is perfectly holy. So would a perfectly holy God be wanting you to do that? I mean, like, and then you'll try to justify it. And it's, I don't know how exactly that's supposed to even work, right? Next, God's glory. Does it bring God glory? Once again, that sounds so good. But we found ourselves with another problem today, did we not? because you can't even get Christians to agree on what would bring God glory or won't bring God glory. Agree? And, and not only that, if you, were re- if you really take it to a logical conclusion, if you're going to say, I'm only going to do what brings God's glory, then there's a good chance, as we talked about this morning, you just basically sell everything you have and move to a monastery, because, well, I mean, how, do you, how do you convince yourself, well, this brings God glory, or this brings God's glory. Now, we, we, do- we talked about Maybe that concept of giving God glory may not be the way we see it. It's based off what I do, that giving God glory may simply be praising and thanking God for who he is. But we, we, we talked about the, those differences in definition and how to work that. So that brings us to session six. And here is now the new principle they want to give us. All right. You ready? And we've, get, we've given all of those other ones one word. Right. Conviction, faith character glory we'll call this one conformity conformity that's the best i can that's the best i can come up with here conformity all right now what does it mean what's what what's the idea of conformity what's the idea of conformity if we were to look up the definition of conformity what would we get let me, let me look it up really quick. Conformity. Conformity. Conformity is defined as compliance with standards, rules, or laws. Okay, uh, Behavior in accordance with socially accepted conventions or standards. Right? That's kind of going more with the idea of compliance to a rule, but what we're really trying to speak of here, and maybe conformity is not the best word, but it's the best word I can come up with, Right is the idea, this is the way they would look at this, will this action that you're thinking about doing, or this decision or this decision or this decision, that you're trying to use discernment, will it conform you or make you more like Jesus Christ? Will it conform you to the image of Christ? If it does, then that's the decision you make. If it doesn't, then you don't make that decision. Once again, does that sound super spiritual? Yes. Would that preach good? Yes. Well, I mean, all of these points that I'm given would make a good sermon series. Yes? But the only problem is it would make a good sermon series. Everybody would be like, okay, uh, for the rest of this, for the rest of 2023, I'm only going to do those things that don't bring conviction in my life and make me feel bad. I'm only going to make those decisions and do those things that require the most faith. And I'm only going to do those things that's consistent with God's character. And I'm only going to do those things that bring God glory. And I'm only going to do that, which brings me to conformity to Jesus Christ. And everybody would say, amen. Everybody say, that's a wonderful sermon, everybody say that was so convicting pastor, everybody would love it, I could give three points for each one, everybody like, oh that felt like a real sermon, and everybody would be happy but what would actually take place after all of that come on, be honest, what would happen after all the sermon series was over Nobody would even know, nobody would take any of those principles and even try to apply them in a real way because they wouldn't. It, it would just be a big game. Everybody would be like, it's a good sermon, you gave me three points, but it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter 15 minutes after the sermon. Because if it really mattered after 15 minutes after the sermon, what, what, what would you do? You would have to move to a monastery. And think about all the things you do Monday through Saturday. Does that truly bring God glory? Is that truly going to make you more like Christ? Is that truly requiring more faith? Is that truly consistent with God's character? You would just be sitting at home all day just praying, reading your Bible, singing hymns, and not doing anything. Fasting, you would just be like, that's all you would do. Well, nobody does that. So then what what would be the point? You're like, well, well at least it help me make a decision in this particular case. Or this particular case. Well then, and some of that you would be making very subjective decisions anyway. So I, there, there's a that's why I always say I I'm not a that's why I believe so many sermons get in the way from the actual dealing with the text because if I preach the sermon the way you're supposed to preach it, everybody would say amen, but nobody would be any closer to actually going what in the world do we do with this stuff? What, how, do we, how does this work? How does this work? Because we would have all of these principles and everybody would feel so good about themselves, but nothing would change. Nothing is going to change that way. Everybody would say, oh, you know, I'm, I'm living my life for God's glory. It sounds so pious, but the reality is whose glory do we live for? Ours, over and over and over and over and over. So this one is going to be just as frustrating as I think all the others. And they base this one off Colossians chapter 3. Oh boy. And I already did a podcast this week on Colossians 3 because I got an email about it. So we've already worked on this a little bit. It's not an easy chapter. At all. All right. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to walk through 14 verses. All right. What I need you to do, if you have paper, I want you to just make a list of every basically imperative or command where you're being told to do something, told to do something, told to do something. Okay. you got to help me find we're just going to make a list of all of the commands or imperatives. You get the idea where we're being told to do something. Alright, right, so everybody ready? All right, what's the first one? Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, let's find them all. What's the first one? If If ye then be risen with Christ, number one, seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So the first thing is to seek. To seek that which is above. That's your first imperative, first command. Everybody see that? Seek that which is above. That's, that's, everybody got that one down? All right. What's the second one? Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. So seek and set. The first one, you're seeking those things. And the second, you're setting your affection, your love, your heart, your, your desire on that which is above. Verse three says, for you are dead and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. All right, then the next one. Mortify, therefore, your earthly members. Now we have mortify. There's the next one. We have mortify. So we have seek, we have set, and we have mortify. What does mortify mean? Put to death, put to death. Put to death. All right. Um, then it lists all the things that we're trying to put to death. Right. Uh, verse seven and the which you also walked sometime uh, when you lived in them. But now you also. Uh, but now ye also, put off all these. So now we're to put off. We're to mortify, and we are to put off. A whole bunch of things we're to put off, right? Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. All right, so we're putting off. All right, how many commands do we got so far, or imperatives? What do we got? Number one? Seek. Number two? Set. Number three? Mortify. Number four? Put off. Next? Put on, put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision. We get all of that. Uh, then verse 12, we have put on again, but we'll just keep that, you know, and we have put on again. So we'll just say put on. We, we won't go, every time it mentions it, we won't, we won't go through. It gives all the different things we're to put on, but you get the idea. All right? So those are specific ones, right? Now... <laughs> It's weird, again, that they kind of use this passage because I don't really know how this proves what they're trying to say, right? Hey, only choose those things that bring you into conformity into Christ. This is a weird passage to kind of go there because in a roundabout way, this is not me making a decision that will help me be closer to Christ. This is me doing things that will help me be, I guess, closer to Christ or brought into conformity to Christ. So it's really, that doesn't quite work the way this is all supposed to work and I could work through this, but it raises a lot of questions, does it not? I mean, mean, can't we, uh, let's just start with the first one, okay? Well, let's just start with the first. I want to kind of go through the curriculum, but I'm kind of torn, right? So maybe I'll work through the curriculum this week, but I'm a little just frustrated because this really doesn't even fit the whole concept. Their whole concept is these things, is how I'm supposed to discern what to do. So I discern what I do by Choosing that which will bring me into conformity to Christ, but this is not about me choosing to do things other than this is me working to do specific things that's supposed to bring me into conformity to Christ. It doesn't really, it doesn't really fit their overall concept, right? So I'm going to ignore the curriculum. I'm going to ignore the curriculum, and we're just going to work through this because, it, I mean, I, I don't, how do you handle this text? I don't know. I know how you could supposed to handle this text, right? There was been a, a time I would have handled this text that I would have taken those commands... This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. This is what you're supposed to do. And if you don't do this, there's a good chance you're probably not saved. That's how it typically would be preached. But at some point, you've got to give up preaching that way because nobody does these things, all right? Let's just, go. let's just be honest. So let's start with the first one, all right? Seek, right? Seek. Now, let's just look up the, the Greek word for seek real quick. Let's just look it up real quick. I know this becomes tedious, but let's just work through it, so we at least get a basic idea. We're not going to get very far in these, but I'm going to try my best so that you just see immediately. I still have Colossians 3 open from the last time I covered this. All right? Uh, so if you've been risen with Christ, seek. Everybody see seek? All right? Seek is this Greek word. Strong's G, 2212. Zeteo. Zeteo. Zeteo, now zeteo is used 119, 119 times in the King James. Seek 100 times, seek four, five, uh, 5 times. Um, Strong's definition, be, to seek literally or figuratively, right? Um, it, it can be to worship God or it can be used in a bad sense. It can be to plot against. Basically, it's to desire, endeavor, inquire. It's to seek in order to find. It's to seek a thing, to seek to seek after, to seek, to demand, to crave, demand something from someone. You're, you're looking for something. You're trying to find something. And what are we supposed to be doing? If because you're risen with Christ, then what should be my way of thinking is, I am to seek those things which are above where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. So what should I be seeking? The things that are pertaining to what? Christ. That's what I'm supposed to be seeking. That's what I'm supposed to be pursuing. Now, we all know that that's what we're supposed to, but let's be honest, do, do we even come close to doing that in, an, in any way, shape, or form? Yeah, I mean, I, I think we can be honest. Now, we can discern that we're supposed to seek, right? I, I don't, again, I don't know why the curriculum is using this, because that's not going to help me. I mean, I don't know how this is supposed to help me in discernment, Right? Okay, this is just telling me what I'm supposed to do. And I am supposed to seek. Now, we, we could argue, what, like in a practical way, what would that look like? Like, let's just, in a practical way, what would this look like? Like, if this is what the, the curriculum wants us to look at, let's just struggle with this. What, what would seeking those things above look like if we were least, like even halfway remotely honest with ourselves? Okay. Bobby says we look like a monk. Anybody? Okay. Reading, studying. Okay. I'm I'm, just, I'm looking here just to see if they offer even a, a remote idea of what it would look like. Um, Okay, they just have set your mind here. They don't have the seek part here. I don't know why they, they skipped that. All right, that that doesn't really help me any. Okay. <laughs> they they just decided to skip it completely. They're like, you know what? Uh, let's let's not even deal with it. Let's not even deal with it. Let me look here at another one. Let me look at another one. I, I find it funny sometimes you look at a commentary and they're like, yeah, we're not going to go f- focus on that seek part. Okay, well, may, may, maybe... Uh, that's why I say I'm going to possibly um, I'm going to go to this one. All right. Uh, okay, here. Okay, man, they, they go through this quick. All right. Um, okay, now this is how they describe it. This is interesting. They describe it, in other words, let your earthly practice be worthy of your heavenly position. That's interesting. Do you you think, okay, look at Colossians 3, 1 again carefully and see maybe why they're looking at it this way. How does it begin? If If ye then be risen with Christ... Now remember, in Christ, we're united to Christ, and we're united to Christ in what ways? What ways are we united to Christ? Death, burial, resurrection. There's another one. Death, burial, resurrection. What did he do after he raised from the dead? He ascended to the right hand of the Father. That's the whole basis of this concept, right? What are we seeking? Things above. Things that are where? Seated at the right hand of the Father, right? Is that, is that what the text says, right? Or am I missing it? Right? So, if ye then be in reason with Christ, seek those things which are above, where God's, Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. We are united to Christ. We are in Christ, right? So, in a roundabout way, they're saying, that, and this is interesting, that we are seeking, in a sense... And practice what is true of us positionally. Right? Where where are we positionally? Where am I? I'm in Christ. I'm at the right hand of the Father. Sitting at the right hand of the Father, what is true of me positionally? What is true of us positionally? I'm perfect, I'm holy, I'm righteous, I'm obedient. Remember, all of that's been imputed to me, right? So I am seeking in position, in practice, what is true of position. That's how they are looking at it, that I'm seeking after. Right. I'm seeking all of that out practically, that is true positionally. That's how this one con- now that don't go into great detail, but it is at least interesting that they state it that way, because at least it's acknowledging there's a difference between the position and the They go on to say, once you're dead in sin, once you were dead in sin, but now you're dead, but now you are dead to sin. You were dead in sin, now you're dead to sin. Christ is in you, the hope of glory, and someday soon that glory will be revealed. And brief, Paul says, live up to what Christ has done for you. The simple principle of Christian living is more powerful than all the rules and regulations you can devise. You're made full in Him, now live out that fullness in daily life. All right? So, that don't really, again, that don't explain what this looks like. They don't explain how this looks, what it looks like in any way, shape, or form. They just say, this is. I, I do like the way they describe it. So as a Christian, in my p- practice, I am to seek that which is true of my position. I, I do like the way that's worded. That at least gives me some kind of concept. But I still cannot tell you specifically what that looks like Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Because I don't know what, I mean... We can say, well, we would read more, we would do this more, but, I mean, that's so very general, right? But there's seek, and then the next, set your affection, okay, on things above. Now, I I guess I'm not going to focus so much on the set part, right? I'm not going to focus so much on the set. I think we kind of have an idea what that means, right? Right, But that was, it's all really, the phrase is one Greek word. Set your affection. Set your affection is all this Greek word. Strong's G, 5426. Franeo. Franeo. Franeo, which is used 29 times. Strong's definition, franeo, is to exercise the mind, entertain or have a, sen- a sentiment or opinion by implication to be mentally disposed more or less earnestly in a certain direction, intensively interest oneself in with concern of obedience, set affection on, be careful, be like, Uh, to have understanding, be wise, to feel, to think, to have an opinion, to think, to judge, to be of one mind, to direct one's mind to a thing, to seek one's interest or advantage, or to be of one's party side with him in public affairs. So, the bottom line is, obviously, we are to take, I think if you take them together, and that's why some of the translations kind of put these together because they're very similar in a certain aspect, but to set and to seek, right, or to seek and to set, is to do what? Is to take us, everything in us, and to set it where? Above, and what do we, when we set our affections, what does it say specifically? On things above... Not on things on the earth. Now, please note, this is interesting. So, just look at how this is worded. Verse 1, If ye have been risen with Christ, that's my positional reality. Because of that, then I seek out that positional reality and practice. Then it says to seek and to set. And then immediately, what does it go in verse 3? For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Once again, speaking of which reality? The position, positional reality. Because positionally, I'm dead. Not practically. If I say that I'm dead practically, that would be a complete lie, right? Because if I'm dead to sin and I'm completely dead, then what would be the logical conclusion? We wouldn't sin. We wouldn't sin, right? And clearly, we still sin. So, let's, so I want to make sure we understand that those are two real, That, In a roundabout way, this may be a better way or a better way to discern what's happening here, Right? My, my positional reality is set, it is fixed. Nothing can change my positional reality, right? I am without sin, I'm holy, I'm perfect, I'm, 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 you know, I'm going to have eternal life, I'm going to be glorified. Nothing can change that because it's all based on what Christ did and his imputed righteousness. But in my position, and that's my position, in my practice, what is the reality, I still sin, I still sin, I still sin. So what we do is we take the time to seek and to set that which is above, that positional reality, and then seek to implement it in a practical way. That's how I've I've been describing the Christian life now for years. It's the impossible, because it is impossible, task of seeking to put into practice what is true positionally. I know that's a radically different way of reading it than probably most people would read it. But any other way, I don't know what you're supposed to do. And even that's still somewhat kind of vague. But at least it's something more tangible. Yes, All right. For you are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. Verse four. For when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with him in glory. Verse four is that that. It's stating something that's a reali- It's going to be a reality. And what's the basis of that reality? It's not my seeking and setting. It's my position. Well, I, uh, when Christ, who is my life, will appear, because he is my life, because I'm risen with him, because I'm dead, my life is hid with Christ and God. Those are positional realities. Then Christ, who is our life, shall appear uh, then... Uh, when Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. So, in a roundabout way, we have a positional realities being spoken of, and a pos- we have a positional reality being spoken of, and a practical challenge to try to carry out. So, the positional realities in chapter three are what risen with Christ. That's a positional reality. Agreed, right? For ye are dead. Positional reality. My life is hid with Christ and God. Positional reality. What will that positional reality produce? An eternal reality. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then then shall ye also appear with him in glory. My positional reality guarantees my eternal reality. My positional reality guarantees my eternal reality. In the meantime, what's between my positional reality and my eternal reality? My practical reality. And in my practical reality, what am I struggling to do? To seek and to set what is true positionally to bring it into practice. So I'm seeking and setting it. Now, to seek it and set it is almost the idea that I'm doing what? I'm focusing on it, I'm understanding it, and I'm desiring it. Now, once I get a glimpse of it, what, is it, what am I immediately going to see? When I seek and set the truth of my position, what am I, what am I immediately going to see about my practice? There's, there's, a, there's, a, there's something wrong, right? I'm not what I am practically what I am positionally. There's a conflict, yes? So then what takes place? Well, then we go to verse 5. Now I've got to mortify. Now, imme- now immediately, I want you to see, that we know there's a difference here, because he's already said I'm dead. If I'm dead, then why am I mortifying anything? I'm already, my life is already hid with Christ. Why am I mortifying anything? Immediately we know there's a conflict here, yes? There's a conflict. The conflict is my position and my practice. So my position, I'm dead. My life is hid with Christ. I'm going, I'm guaranteed my eternity, right? All of that is true positionally. In practice now, I have to try to start mortifying. Mortifying, mortifying, mortifying. What do I have to mortify? My members which are on the earth and what's connected to my members? Fornication. Fornication uncleanliness and ordinate affection, evil concupiscence, covetousness, which is idolatry. For which things uh, sake, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. These are the things that bring God's wrath upon people, right? Now, the reason it won't bring wrath upon us is because where am I? I'm, I've been risen with Christ. I'm above. I'm seated with Christ. I'm dead and my life is hid with Christ and God. Now, that doesn't mean there can't be temporary, temporal judgment or chastisement, right? Doesn't mean there can't, but the wrath of God does not abide on me, yes? But you can't say that those things don't show up in the life of believers all the time, right? Fornication is sexual immorality, that that can be in thought, word, deed internal, external, uncleanliness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, that's like strong lust, covetousness, which is idolatry. Those things show up, do they not? Now, verse 7, in the which, now this is where some people will try to make it much more practical. In the which ye also walked sometime wherein you lived in them, but now you also put off. Now, immediately, though, when people will say, see, but no, 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 there's a difference. You used to live in them, but now you don't live in them. You're right. I used to live in them. I don't live in them anymore. But clearly, I do live in them because he's telling me to mortify them. Right? Right? If I'm mortifying them, that means what? They're still there. I'm still, I'm still fighting. I'm trying to kill them, right? So how do I not live in them? How do I not live in them? Positionally, right? 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 Are, no, people disagree. There's a disagreement, Is there a disagreement there. Let, okay, let, so make sure I, I want to make sure there's not disagreement here, okay? If I'm mortifying something, the thing I'm mortifying is it exists. Does that make sense? I wouldn't have to mortify it. So when it says you used to walk in them, but like now it implies that I don't. Well, then I wouldn't be mortifying it. They would be gone. Yeah. Am I, is there, is there, is there, do you agree or is there disagreement? Okay, all right. I want to make sure make sure that there, there's agreement here. So so let's go through through these again. What things in this chapter gives us our positional reality? Let's go through these and, and give the positional reality. I'm risen with Christ. We're dead. Life is hid with Christ, and then that guarantees a an eternal what? And what? How does he describe what's going to happen uh, in eternity? We're going to appear, then and, and uh, we will also appear with him in glory, right? It guarantees that glory. Is there anything else that speaks of a positional reality? I think, in a sense, verse 7 is, is hinting at the positional reality, right? I no longer walk in them. I no longer walk in them how? Positionally. It's the only way that works. Because if I'm not walking in them, then all these other things he's telling me to do would make... I, if I'm, if I'm not walking in them, then I don't need to seat, seek and to set, and I don't need to mortify, and what is he going to say right after it? Put off. Now, I wouldn't have to put off if I'm no longer walking in them, right? Now, what are we to put off? Let's go through them. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that you have put off the old man with his deeds. Now, once again, it says, I've put, I've put them off. It's, it almost speaks like you're supposed to be putting them off, but that you've already put them off. Doesn't that seem weird, the way that's worded? He just says, put them off, and then what does he say? Verse 9. Do do not lie one to another since you have put off the old self with its practices. Well, wait a minute. Why are you telling me to put off if I've already put them off? Do you not see the weird verbiage? How can I put off what's already been put off? What what do you think the the answer is? Do we need need to look it up? It's already been put off positionally. We're working to put it off. Practically. But do you not find that just strange when you read that? Let's look it up in every... Do we have any other translations that would give us any kind of... Change that up? Okay, we're going to look at all the the ones and see here. It's 9, verse 9. Verse 8 says, But now put away all the following. Then verse 9... Well, it just told me to put off. Now it's telling me to do this since I've put it off. Does not ever, Does everyone see that kind of weird contradiction? How can I put off? I don't need to keep putting off if it's already been put off. So there are two, there's in a way, two putting there's two, and two, there's two elements of putting off, right? On one hand, they've already been, everything has already been put off. Where has it all been put off? In Christ, right? I don't have it. Where has it not been put off? Practically. And practically, no matter how many times you put it off, what happens? Did you ever put anger off once and it never came back? They keep coming back over and over and over. Why do they keep coming back? Because the sinful nature. We don't put off the sinful nature. And as long as the sinful, sin, the sinful nature there, what's going to show up? If, if we look at uh, all those things that were listed, anger, wrath, malice, slander, filthy language, do not lie. All of those things show up in our lives continually, do they not? Yes! So, we... What are we, so what are we seeking? We are seeking to put into practice what is true positionally. Positionally, it's all been put off. Practically, I'm still trying to put it off. And what's the best I can do? What's the best you hope to achieve in this life in putting off and putting on? What's the best you can achieve? What's the best you can achieve when it comes to putting off in this life? The absolute best you can achieve. What do you think? What's the best you can achieve? All you can put off a practice, but you can't put off the nature which caused the practice. So meaning you may put off a practice, but it's only usually temporary at best because it's going to show up in some other way, shape, or form. Right? You may, be, you may be over time to get better with your anger, but sometimes that's not even because you put it off or put it on. What, what, sometimes what changes that? Age. Age. That, that you can't pat yourself on the back and go, look what I did. Yeah, it took you 35 years, okay, to change your temper. I put it off. You didn't do anything, okay? You changed, right? Yeah. You, you, had, you, had, you had three heart attacks, okay? That's probably why, why you're no longer getting so angry, because you get, yeah, if you do one more, you're going to die, okay? That I probably changed it, right? Right, you know, hey, mortify those things. Well, yeah, you, you, you no longer have problems with sexual sin because you're 87 in a wheelchair. Right, you know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes it's like, woohoo, we get victory. Yeah, you got victory because you're no longer in the same situation. It's, it's very different when you're, it's a Friday night and you're 53 versus it's a Friday night and you're 17. You can say, well, it's, the work of God has changed me. No, you're 53 and it's Friday night. Okay, go back when you're 17. Same spirit supposedly in you, a Christian, and it's an amazing the difference. The difference that ha- it's always easy to, to claim some gray, grand victory when you're no longer in a situation. Right? Like, I can claim victory... You know, sitting in church, I can be like, I don't know why people have a problem with wrath or anger. Like, everything's good right now, right? But then what happens when when you're in a different situation? All of a sudden, that problem manifests itself. Sometimes you don't have a problem because you're not in a situation which is enticing that problem. And then sometimes you're in a situation which entices that problem. Like, you can be in a situation going, I don't know why you would have that sin problem. But if you were in a reverse situation, you may go. Nah, I can maybe understand why that person's in that sin. Like, does that make sense? So, I, sometimes this Christian is like, just put these things off, and it's all gone. As and, as long as the sinful nature is there, it's never going to be truly put off. I can now. Does that mean I? am not saying that means you just give up. I'm just saying that, that we got to understand what's what's trying to, to, to occur here, right? I, I, I think we're reading it correctly. I know everyone online is going to say we're not reading it correctly, but I don't know how else you read this and this makes any sense. Because that's a weird like put off, but wait a minute, you've already put it off. Well, if I've already put it off, why am I putting it off? <laughs> well, well, I, well because, I'm, I'm, I, because it's not put off completely practically and we don't have it, we, if we, again, I, I agree with you I don't think we have the power that everyone claims that we have because if we had the power then I, well, everyone who claims we have the power then modifies to mean whoa, it's not complete power and they, they change it a hundred different ways all right? now, uh, what verse did we just stop at? verse 9, nine. now, verse 10 put on the new self where's the new self? What is the new self? Now this, this, is, this is where it's going to get controversial and everyone's about to disagree with me. On the, on, everyone online is about to disagree with me. Nobody's going to agree with me on this. But what do you think the new self is? Well, we only have two options here. We only have two options. Okay. Well, some people would say, because some people say when you become a Christian, what's the typical saying that everyone says? You're a new creature in Christ, all things pass away, all things become new. Clearly that can't be true practically, because it was true practically, that would require. No, no, you could not have a sinful nature, because if everything is new. So, that is true of me positionally. Now, he's telling me to put it on, right? What does it say? What's the exact language? Now is it saying to put on or it's already been put on? What do you think? Already. it's already been put on. You have put off the old man and have put on. Now okay, and I made it, but see, they've been telling us to put off and to mortify. You see, it's weird. It's like, wait, am I doing it or am I done? Is it already done or is it not done? And it's like, look, well, look because there's all these commands to do something, yes, but this is seemingly to imply, hey, you've already put it off and you've already put on the new. But you need to keep putting off the old. Does it come back later to talk about putting on and putting off anymore? That was verse 10. And have and have put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. In Christ there is not Greek nor Jew. Then look at verse uh, 12. Therefore is God's chosen, chosen ones... Ho- Uh, holy uh, and put on compassion. Wait, Wait a minute. Now I'm back to putting on. But it said I've already put it on. Do you see the conflict here? Why am I putting on what's already been put on? So again, what's the only way to understand this? Positionally, I have put off and put on. Boom. It's done. In fact, how does it describe that new one? In verse 10, and have put on the new self, you are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator in Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. Okay, but Christ is is, is an all, all, right, we got that, right? Therefore, as God's chosen ones, well, how does he describe us in verse 12? Well, before as the as put, as the as put as on, before the put on. Or maybe, re- okay, I got a different choice. Therefore, as the God a okay, as put as Okay, but it just referred to us as holy, does it not? It describes, if I'm holy, I don't need to put off or put on. So how am I holy? Positionally. Now, because I'm holy positionally, what am I seeking to do? I'm made to put off and put on some stuff practically. Right? Everybody, so let's let's look at this again. Verse 10 And have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that that created him, where there is neither nor. Neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision or nor uncircumcision. Verse 12. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved. Now, the elect of God, that's, that's a positional thing, right? I don't, I don't do anything to be the elect of God. God is the one who makes me the elect of God, right? And guess what? I am because in that position, I am holy and beloved. And what am I to put on? Bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, Meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another, forgiving one another. if any man have quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity, which is the bond of perfectionists. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, and they continue to go on and on. So in this passage, I, I know the way it's typically preached, is right? This is preached would be how do these things guys do these things do these things do these things and I, we do need a challenge to do these things we do need a challenge to do these things okay but if you think for a minute anyone's going to look look i've heard have heard these sermons a million times i've still yeah, i mean look if go through all of those things we're supposed to do and just rate yourself how well do you think you do after how long has everybody in this room combined how many years of christianity do we have in this room well, what? How long have you been saved? Long time. Like thirty years, at least fifty years. Uh, I mean, you add it. I mean, we're we're well over a hundred years, right? Okay. Right. Well, I I got I I skipped you, because yeah, I, I can't count you. Okay, I can't count you. Okay, all right, you got, I got to go with the people I think are really saved. Okay, all right. But I mean, we got we got like over a hundred years of Christian life in here, right? I mean, just go through any of those things. I mean, have you put on bowels of mercy? You're like this merciful person who's kind, who's humble, who's meek, who's long-suffering, who's forbearing one another. You forgive one another. You forgive as Christ has forgiven you, which is perfect, complete. Okay? Right? Uh, you put on charity. Um, you, you let the peace of God rule your hearts. You let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. I can go on and on and on. We know that we're going to be like, that's why these sermons work. And why do these sermons work? Because no matter who you preach it to, everybody's going to be like, amen or... Oh, me. Everyone's going to be, oh, me. So you know if you do an altar call, you're going to get some people to come forward who are convicted. So boom, ding, 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 I win, right? Everybody else is going to be like, oh, man, I didn't do that. Everybody's going to be like, I'm going to do this. Well, Not everybody. Some people are going to be like, whatever. But you'll have some like, I'm going to really work on this. And guess what? They'll, they'll work on it. And then the next time the sermon is preached, they're still working on it because they still haven't done it. Yes? Now, I'm not saying that means you just give up, but it's, it's a more realistic approach. So, in a sense, what if you think about it, what is the model of the Christian life? The model of the Christian life is our positional standing. Where What I am positionally is what I am seeking to be practically. That's why there's this weird, like, put off, but you've already put off. Put on, but I mean you've already put it on. But I've already put off and put on. You're dead, but you need to kill something. Right? He says you're dead. And what does he say right after he says you're dead? The mortified. Well, if it's dead, what am I killing? I, so I'm dead, but I'm killing those things. Well, that, that's weird. I'm put, I've already put on, but I need to put on. I've already put off, but I need to put off. And the only way to understand this is that there is this weird dynamic that I, some Christians seem to forget. And that positionally, let's go through everything that's true of me positionally. Positionally, I have been crucified with Christ. I'm dead. I'm dead. And I I haven't been crucified with him. I've been buried. Right? Or we could go this. In Christ, I am crucified, died, and buried with him. I'm united in that. That's what I am. So the old me, where's the old me? Dead. It's been buried. And, but I've experienced in Christ a resurrection. What, 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 what raised from the dead with Christ? A knew me. The old is still where? Dead. Dead. The old is dead. Right? Remember Christ says, if you're going to follow me, take up your cross, deny yourself and follow me. Well, that's a great idea, but it's a command to do so, right? Some people preach it like lordship would preach it. How do you know you're saved? Well, you f- to come to Christ, you have to die to yourself, deny yourself, follow him. And if you don't die to self and deny self and you're not following him exactly, you're not saved. Which means, hey, do you want to be a Christian? You got to die, you got to deny, and you got to follow. That preach is good. But I've known people who've believed in lordship salvation, and guess what? They're still not dead to themselves. They're still not denying themselves. And they still are following themselves more than they follow Christ, because that's true of all of us, right? So then, how can I accomplish what Jesus says it means to follow him? In Christ, what has happened? I've been put on the cross. I have died. I have risen. And I'm following him where? Positionally. It's absolutely true. And what else is true of positionally? Not only have I died and I went on, I'm ascended to the right hand of the Father. I'm literally sitting with Christ on the right hand of the Father, perfectly in him. And what else is true of him? I am perfect, holy, righteous, obedient. Have I denied self? I've completely denied self. Did Jesus deny self? Not my will. But your will be done. He, did, he denied himself. He humbled himself. All of that is true of me. Right? So in Christ, this is the old is dead. Everything is new. Christ lives in me. I live in him. Everything is perfect. But the practical everyday life, I have to try to live that out. I have to seek it. I have to remind myself of what I am positionally and try to live that out practically and, it's, and it's, we're going, it's never going to look good. That's why there's always going to be, hey, Bobby, you've already put on and put off, but you need to keep putting on and putting off. Hey, Bobby, you're, you're dead, but you need to kill some stuff. You're dead, but you need to kill some stuff. You've put off, but you need to still put off some stuff. You've put on, but you need to put on. In other words, you need to take the positional deadness the positional newness, the positional putting off and putting on, and now you've got to try to carry that out in everyday life. But my salvation is not based off me killing it, putting off and putting on. My salvation is based off what? That my life is hid in Christ, and because my life is hid in Christ, what is that future promise that's there in Colossians 3? When he who is our life shall appear, that you shall also appear with him. That's guaranteed. Why is it guaranteed? Because of my position. My position guarantees my future. In practice, I'm doing this putting on, putting off that's already been done for me. I wish it would be simple. I wish it would be easy, but it is not. It it just doesn't happen the way we want it to happen. And, and there's, no, there's no easy way to make it happen, is there? I mean, there really isn't. And, and, and typically, I, I don't know. I, I, think, I think in most churches, what do you think is often given as the motivation for putting off and putting on? How do you think many churches handle the motivation? Like, what do they give as motivation for doing this? Well, some the motivation is, if you don't do this, you're proving you're not saved. Okay, that, that's typical. That's the motivation in many churches. Like when it gets down to it, hey, if you're really saved, you're going to put on and you're going to put off. If you're really saved, if you're really a child of God, you're gonna. well, that sounds so good, but the reality is that, that's not, that motivation obviously doesn't what? Work. What's another motivation? Some will say the motivation is, well, then if you'll do these things, you'll put off and put on and put to death, then your life will be better, and perfect, and wonderful, and great, okay, kind of a, like a temporal motivation, like a, a reward, like a, re- a, a reward, an earthly reward, because your life's going to be better, all right, some try that as a motivation, what's some o- another possible motivation, some the motivation would be you could lose your salvation, all right, that would be a, a motivation, okay, what would be another possible motivation, to avoid, some would say to avoid chastisement, because if you don't do these things, you're going to receive some kind of chastisement. So it, a lot of it is a lot of fear and kind of intimidation to make it happen, right? Some maybe try to put a positive spin on it. What should be the biblical motivation for it? If the way we've read this text tonight is even halfway true, and it's just weird, again, that this is on the section of discernment. I guess what we're discerning here is Yeah. Well, we need to discern how to read this, I guess. I don't know. It's just weird. It's a weird text to put in this, but we'll work through it later this week. I almost want to make this a separate message from this series, but this is where the curriculum has us. What do you think the motivation is if the way we've read the text tonight is accurate? What would be the motivation then? My position, my position is my motivation. Because of what I am positionally, I am motivated to try to carry it out practically. That's supposed to be the motivation. Now, am I saying that's going to give greater motivation than the others? I'm not going to say that because guess what? No matter what motivation is given, what do I know is going to kill that motivation? The sin nature. Because does the sin nature want any of that? No. Sin nature doesn't want to be mortified. And in fact, I can't even actually, if you think about it, that's the weird thing about this. I can't actually mortify the nature. I can only mortify the actions. And to mortify the action is only temporary at best. Right? Like in one situation, I may be able to mortify that, right? In some way, shape, or form, and say, I'm not going to do that action. But the thing that's desiring the action is going to still be there, so that that same desire for that same action could come back how quickly? In a minute. Two minutes, five minutes. And not only that, guess what? And from a biblical standpoint, this is even really more discouraging. I may be able to mortify the action, but before God, even if I don't commit the action, if I'm committed in thought, I'm still guilty of it, even if I don't commit the act. (laughs) That is hard to wrap my mind around. Hey, I've never committed the act. Woohoo! I've only committed it nine thousand other nine other thousand times in my mind. So, so do I really pat myself on the back? Look at me, woohoo! I've never committed that act. Yeah, woohoo! I'm better than everyone else. Yeah, but you're guilty just as the person who did it. I oh, was so, but it's different. Well, I understand it's different, but it's not different before God. But we treat it differently. The thought, you're okay. And you know why you're okay with the thought? Well, because nobody knows the thought, okay? If everybody could come into church and everyone's thoughts were like, for the next 45 minutes, today, and we just have like a, like, a, you know, like one of those bingo things that you spin around, right? And we're like, okay, to, today... It's B-52. Bobby, that's you. All right, we're going to be watching Bobby's thoughts from the last seven days. Everybody get some popcorn. Somewhere about halfway through, we we'll would be like, ah! Exactly. Okay, well, I'm giving him credit. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's old now, so, you know. Right. Okay, you know, he's, okay. Right. That could help. It could help. So now, now we could be like, okay. Oh, by the time it's over, like, Bobby, I don't know if we can watch any more of that, okay? And then next week, we spin it a wheel. Okay, today, it's, and if that really happened, one, you probably drop your attendance dramatically. Okay, Now, other people may want to come as long as they don't have to participate just to see the dirt, right? See the scandal. Right? A lot of people would love to see the scandal and have their phones out so they could put it on TikTok, right? Okay, but the point is, is it would be bad for everyone. So since that doesn't happen, then we sit back and smugly judge those who commit an act that's seen. While those who usually have the rocks ready to, to stone the one, if, if all of a sudden their actions were played, they would probably do what with the rocks? Okay, you know, on, on second thought, <laughs> you're not so bad. Okay, we'll just keep on walking. That's why everyone, I know there's all the debate about that text in John 8, but some believe Jesus wrote down, their sins. You know, some people believe that. And then, yeah, that's what some people believe. There's no way to prove that. But it's just interesting that they were like, okay, never mind. Because he says he, those who are without. Well, they already had to know. So he did something to make them realize their sin. And they must have been like, okay, never mind. Never, and that's true of every single person. Even though positionally it's not true positionally Bobby is a new creature in Christ the old is gone everything is new positionally now Bobby hopefully the motivation is that position he seeks that truth of that position he sets his affections on that truth and then tries to kill to put on and to put off even though he's already dead and he's already put on and he's already put off that is a weird passage to just think about the it it seems almost contradictory at times does it not Hey, you've already put off, but put off. Hey, you've already put on, but put on. Hey, you're dead, but kill. That's the weird world of the Christian. That's, that's, the, that's the difficulty of the Christian life. And that's why there's so much confusion about it. All right, let's pray. Lord, God, we come before you this evening? Uh, I don't know what to say, Lord, other than I hope that this way of trying to look at this text will prove to be beneficial to someone and a challenge and that we understand these two very different realities, what we are in your Son, Jesus Christ, and what we still are in our practice. We are thankful for what we are in your Son, because if we were not that in him, we would have no hope of eternity. We ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said,